Hello, I wanted to let you know that this Flirtations Life to Tape podcast recording of The Girl Aviator's visual audiobook is funded by viewer support. If you would like to help out as well, you can visit flirtationsdonations.com where there are many ways you can help support Flirtations and the Flirtations Live to Tape and our sister sites. There you can find ways you can donate through PayPal, you can set up reoccurring subscriptions on PayPal or also on Patreon. There are many levels on Patreon on which you can support. And there is also an Amazon wish list that will help us with equipment uh, donations. And we also accept cryptocurrencies as well. If you're old school and you like to send uh, checks, we have our P.O. Box information also on that page at flotationsdonations.com. I want to thank everyone who has helped support this series so far, and I hope you help too. Thank you. Hello, this is the Flotations I Should Take podcast. We are reading a new book today. It is The Junior is the Girl Aviators and the Motor Butterfly. Chapter 1. Preparation and Plans. It will be another sky cruise, longer than, longer and danger and lovelier, exclaimed Jess Bancroft, clapping her hands. Peggy, you are nothing if not original. Well, there are automobile tours and sailing trips and driving parties and railroad journeys and mountains. Tramps, interrupted Jess, laughing. Yes, and there are, they are all wonderful, long-distant migration of birds, so why not a cross-country flight of motor butterflies? It would be splendid fun, agreed Jess eagerly. We could take the golden butterfly and the red dragon and... Don't forget that Bess Marshall has a small monoplane too now. I guess she could go with us. Not a doubt of it. Let's go find the boys and see what they say to it. No need to go after them. Here they come now. As the golden-haired Peggy spoke... The two good-looking youths came around the corner of the old-fashioned house at Sandy Bay, Long Island, where the two young Prescotts made their home with their maiden aunt, Miss Sally Prescott. One of the lads was Roy Prescott, Peggy's brother, and the other was Jimsy Bancroft. Well, girls, what's up now? inquired Roy, as both girls sprang to their feet, their faces flushed and eyes shining. Oh, nothing particular, rejoined Peggy with assumed indifference, except that we've just solved the problem of what to do with the rest of summer. And what's that? Lie in the hammocks and indulge in ice cream sodas and chocolates? asked Jimmy, Jimsy mockingly. No, indeed, you impertinent person. The young lady of the twelfth century has left all that far behind her, was Jess's parents' shot. For proof, I refer to our adventure of the great Alki. Hello, what's this? asked Roy, holding up a dainty cardboard box and giving vent to the mischievous smile. Chocolates, cried Jimsy. It was chocolates, corrected Peggy reproachfully. And yet shall be, declared Jimsy, producing from some mysterious place in a long auto coat, another box, bare-boned and decorated like the first. Jimsy, you're an angel, cried both girls at once. So I've been told before, responded the immeasurable jimmy but i've never really believed it till now peggy rewarded him for the compliment by popping a chocolate into his mouth gravely munching it jimmy proceeded to interrogation and how did you solve the problem of what to do for the rest of the summer he asked for peggy was pointed to the sky a delicate blue dome 
flecked with tiny cloudlets like a cherub's wings. By circling way up yonder in the cornfield, she laughed. But that's no novelty, rejected, objected Roy. We've been up 5,000 feet already, and but we're talking about a tour through the cloudlands, burst out Jesse, unable to retain the secret any longer, a sort of cook's tour above the earth. Well, gasped the boys. There's nothing slow, added Roy, in that or about you two. And incidentally, just read this letter I got this morning, or rather I'll read it to you. So saying, Roy produced from his coat a letter closely written in an old-fashioned handwriting. It was as follows. Dear niece and nephew, no doubt you will be surprised to hear from your Uncle Jack. Possibly you will hardly recall him. This has in great, in great measure been his own fault, as since your poor father's death I have not paid the attention I should to my correspondence. This letter, then, is to offer what compensation lies in my power for my neglect having read in the papers of your wonderful flying feats in nevada it struck me that you and your young friends might like to pay me a flying trip making the excursion via aeroplane we are to have some flying contests in marysville during the latter part of the month and you might care to participate in them of course i expect your aunt sally to accompany you Hoping sincerely to see you, I am your affectionate uncle, James Parker, Marysville, North Carolina. As Roy concluded the reading, the quarter of merry youngsters exchanged delighted glances, as if by magic here was an objective point described for the projected motor flight. Well, that's what I call modern magic, declared Jinzy glowingly. Consider me having accepted the invitation. Accepting likewise for me, of course, said Jess, shaking her black locks and blinking round, expedient eyes. Of course, struck Peggy affectionately. The girl aviators cannot be parted. Just at that moment came a whirling sound from high in the air above them. Looking up, they saw a dainty green monoplane with widespread wings and whirling propeller descending to earth. An instant later, the machine had come to a halt on the lawn alighting and slightly as wind-blowing gosmer in the machine was seated a pretty girl about peggy's age though rather stouter in harmony with the color of her machine she drove the newly arrived girl aviator wore a green aviation costume with a closer fit motor bonnet from the beruffled edge of this some golden strands of hair had escaped and waved above two laughing blue eyes Hello, people, she hailed as the porch party hastily adjourned and ran to welcome her. How's that for a novice, only recently out of the Manilova school? Bless Marshall, you're a wonder, cried Peggy, embracing her. The dart is the prettiest little machine I've seen for a long time. Isn't it, darling? agreed Bess warmly. But my, how I had to beg and pray, Dad, before he would buy it for me. He said that no daughter of his should ever go up in an aeroplane, much less drive one. It was until I got him down to Menaloa to persuade him to take a ride himself that he considered to buy me my dear little dart. She laid one daintily gloved hand on the steering wheel of the little monoplane and patted it affectionately. It's pretty enough, but it won't fly very far. 
commented Roy teasingly. Sort of an aerial taxicab, I'd call it. Is that so, Mr. Roy Prescott? Well, I'd like you to know that the dark could fly just as far and as fast as the red dragon or the golden butterfly. Well, if you want to take a trip to North Carolina with us, you'd have an opportunity to test that idea out, laughed Peggy. A trip to North Carolina? What do you mean? Are you dreaming? No, not even daydreaming. Just then, Miss Prescott, her gentle face, wreathed in smiles, appeared at the door. Children, children, she exclaimed. What is this all about? Adjourn your discussion for a while and come in and have tea. While the happy group of young flyers are entertaining this pretty old-fashioned house with its cluster rose and green shuttered casements, let us relate a little more about the young personage to whom we enthusiastically talk the reader has just listened. Roy and Peggy Prescott were orphans living in care of their aunt, Miss Prescott, and the location of whom, whose home on Long Island has already been described. At school, Roy had um, had imbibed the aerial fever, and after many studies, he built a fine monoplane, the Golden Butterfly, with which he had won a big money prize, besides encountering a series of extraordinary aerial adventures. In these, Peggy participated, and on more than one occasion was the means of materially aiding her brother out of difficulties. All this part of their experience was related in the first volume of the series, The Girl Aviator and the Phantom Airship. In the second volume, The Girl Aviators on Golden Wings, a combination of strange circumstances took our friends out of the great alkai of the Nevada desert. Nevada desert. Here, intrigues concerning a hidden gold mine provided much excitement and peril, and the girls proved that after all, a fellow sister can be a splendid companion in fun and hardship at an exciting race with an express train, and the adventure of the human coyote proved stirring times in the story, which also related the queer antics of Professor, Professor Wandering Williams, an odd character indeed. Space does not permit to relate their previous adventures in more detail, but in the Girl Aviator Sky Cruise, still other interesting and unusual experiences are described, experiences that both tested themselves and their machines in enduring flights. Of Roy and Peggy's devout friends, Jess and Jimsy Bancroft, it is enough to say that both were children of Mr. Bancroft, a wealthy banker who had a palatable summer home near to the Prescott's less pretentious dwelling. Since we last met Jesse and Jimsy, their father had allowed them to purchase an aeroplane known as the White Flyer. It was in this craft that Jimsy and Roy had flown over for mail when they made their entrance at the beginning of this chapter. Of the letter they found awaiting them, we already know. Jolly good-natured Miss Marshall had taken up aviation as a lark. She was a typical specimen of the American girl, light-hearted, wholesome, and devout to all sorts of sports, tennis, swimming, golf, motoring, and finally aviation, had in turn claimed her attention. And now having introduced our heroes and heroines of the sky to those who have not already met, we will proceed to see how Miss Prescott received the startling plans that her young charges are about to lay before her. Chapter 2. Off on the Flight But, my dear children, do you realize what 
such a trip means. The gentle-voiced Miss Prescott leaned back in her easy chair and gazed at Peggy and Roy with an approach of consternation. It means fun, adventure, and oh, everything, cried Peggy, clapping her hands. You can't have the heart to refuse us, sighed Jess. If it was only the boys, it might be different. But two young ladies, three, corrected Bess. Three, then, for three young ladies, supposedly of sound mind, to go flying across country like... Butterflies struck in Jimsy. Wait a minute, cried Jess. There'd have to be four ladies, of course. A chaperone breathed Peggy with a malicious glance. Miss Prescott dropped her knitting. Peggy Prescott, you mean me? Of course, who else would go? My dear child, do you understand? Do you actually contemplate taking me flying through the air at my time of life? Why not? Isn't it as if you'd never been up? urged Peggy. You said you liked it too, struck in Jess. Um, well, I may have said so, admitted Miss Prescott, visibly weakened from the stand she had taken, and she went on. I would like to see James again, and here is your opportunity ready to hand, as the advertisements say, declared Bess, her blue eyes shining. But how could I go? The question was an outward and visible sign of capitulation on Miss Prescott's pot. Why, I was thinking we could use that big biplane I was building for Mr. Bell, use out in Nevada, spoke Roy. It will seat three and is as steady as church, thanks to that balancing device Jimsy and I figured out. I'd fly the little dart, declared Bess, and you and I could take the golden butterfly, cried Peggy, crossing to Jessie and placing her arm around the dark-haired girl's neck. Jimsy can fly the red dragon, and that leaves Roy and Auntie for the biplane, she went on, bubbling over with enthusiasm as her plans matured and took form. Goodness gracious, an aerial circus, cried Miss Prescott. We would attract crowds, and that wouldn't be pleasant. I was planning to take it in sort of picnic, declared Peggy, who appeared to have an answer for every objection that we could be interposed to her project. What camp out every night? Well, you are a wonder, exclaimed Jimsy. If there is one thing I love, it's camping out. How long would it take us to get to Marysville, asked Bess. I'd take the atlas, cried Peggy. But if we have good weather, not more than three or four days. I hardly think it would take us as long as that, declared Roy, as five eager hands were bent over the atlas. But camping out, exclaimed Miss Prescott. Think of the cold and rheumatoid rheumatism, not to mention the snakes and robbers. Tell you what, cried Jimsy suddenly, what's the matter with Miss Prescott going along in an automobile? We can camp out, we can map out the route, arrange our steps to meet every evening at some small town where we won't attract too much of a crowd. Jimsy, I always said you were a genius, cried Peggy. Behold the last objection swept away, struck in bus. Surely you can't refuse now, urged Jess. Please say yes, came from them all. But but who would drive the car, asked Miss Prescott, in the voice of one who is thinking up a feeble last objection. Why, Jake Ricketts, of course, declared Roy, referring to the man who had helped the boys in the machine shop in which the airplanes for the desert mines were manufactured. After this, Miss Prescott could not could make but a poor stand against the united urgings of five intrepidous, enthusiastic young people. The air was filled with plans of all sorts, 
Jimmy was going at once, but it was finally decided to meet again and set a definite date for the start. In the meantime, there were parents' consents to be obtained, plans laid out for the route to be followed, and various things purchased for the aerial trip. All this occupied time, and it is not until a week later that the last difficulty in connection with the motor flight had been straightened out and three aeroplanes stood ready in Roy's hangar for a tour that was to prove eventful in more ways than one. It was just after dawn on the day of the start that Roy and Jimsy for the last time went over every nut and bolt of the machines and declared everything in perfect readiness for the trip. Breakfast was a mere pretense at a meal. Excitement got the better of appetites that morning. Besides the winged machine sputtering and coughing as if impatient at the delay, was a large and comfortable red touring car. At the driver's wheel of this vehicle was seating a small, underdone-looking man in the chauffeur's uniform of black leather. This was Jake Ricketts. Well, Jake, we're all ready for a start, announced Roy at last. The small man, whose hair was fair, not to say pale, glancing and glowing boy with expression of deep melancholy. Yes, if something doesn't happen, he declared in to tones of deep pessimism. Jake's never happy unless he's foreboding some disaster, replied Roy to Bess, who happened to be standing by drawing on her gloves. It doesn't ever do to be too sure, murmured the melancholy Jake. Cause why? Well, you can't most generally always tell. Everything ready, cried Peggy at last, and Miss Prescott got into the car. As ready as it will ever be, merrily called back Bess, who was already seated in the little green dart. The chorus of engines, panting and explosions, was swelled by the roar of Roy's big biplane and the rattling exhaust of Jimmy's fierce-looking red dragon. The golden butterfly, which was equipped with sil a silencing device, ran smoothly and silently as a sewing machine. Peggy sat at the wheel while Jess reclined on the padded seat placed tandem-wise behind her. It made a wonderful picture, and the big white biplane with its boy driver and the scarlet and silver machine of Jimsy Bancroft and the delicate green and gold color scheme of the other two flying machines. The first stop will be Pantsville, announced Roy, the biplanes will be the pathfinder. Despite the earliness of the hour and the efforts that had been made up to keep the motor flight a secret, the information of the novel experiment had in some way leaked out. Quite a small crowd gave a loud cheer as Roy cried, Go! We're off! cried Peggy, and thrilled with excitement. Propellers flashed in the sunlight, and the next instant the biplane, after a short run, soared aloft toward the sky of cloudless swept clean swept blue in rapid succession the dark golden butterfly and red dragon followed come on cried bess jimsy waving her hand shantly ladies first even off the earth came back jimsy gallantly as he skillfully banked his machine in an upward spiral then upward and outward he soared gaily colored sky races like the flock of a wonderful bird of wonderful birds it was the greatest sight the crowd left behind and below had ever witnessed although one or two shook their heads and prophesied dire results from the young ladies tampering with the blamed sky buggies 
but not a thought of this entered the heads of the aerial adventurers. With sparkling eyes and bounding pulses, they flew steadily southward from time to time, glancing below at the touring car. Even though they were flying slowly, it was plain that the big auto had hard work to keep up with them. The unique motor flight was on and was about to develop experiences of which none of them at the moment had dreamed. Chapter 3 Little Wren and the Gypsies They flew on, keeping the motor car beneath them in a constant sight till about noon. Then from the tantu of the machine came the waving of red square of silk. This had been agreed upon the signal to halt for a brief lunch. Shouting joyously, the young adventurers of the air began circling their machines about, dropping closer earthward with every sweep. Beneath them was a green meadow bordered on one side, and a country road on the other by a small brook of clear water and patch of dark woods. It was the ideal place to halt for a roadside lunch, and as one after the other the machines dropped to earth, Miss Prescott was warmly congratulated on her choice of a halting place. The car was left in the road, and the melancholy Jake Ricketts set to getting wood for a fire, for it was not to be thought of that Miss Prescott could go without a cup of tea. In the meantime, the girls spread a cloth and set out their fare. This was a dainty chicken sandwiches with crisp lettuce leaves lurking between the thin white wrappers, cold meat, and half a dozen other little picnic delicacies, which all the girls, despite their aerial craze, had not got forgotten how to make. The boys set up a shout, and returning from the attending to the airplanes, they beheld the inviting table. This beats camping out by ourselves, declared Roy. Girls were glad we brought you. Thanks for the compliment, laughed Jess. I suppose you mean that we, you are glad we brought all this. She waved her hand at the splendid dramatic, at the spread dramatically. Both, rejoined Jimsy, throwing himself on the grass. By this time, Jake's kettle was bubbling merrily, and soon the refreshing aroma of Miss Prescott's own particular kind of tea in the air. The boys preferred to try the water from the brook, despite Jake's dire hints that typhoid and other germs holding a convention in it. It was sweet and cool, and the girls voted it as good as ice cream soda. At any rate, we can't get any. We might as well be pretend it is, declared Bess. So the meal passed merrily, and after it had been concluded amid gay chatter and fun, Peggy proposed an excursion to the woods for wild flowers, which grew in great profusion on the opposite side of the stream. Crossing it by a plank bridge, the young people plunged into cool woods, dark and green, and carpeted with flowering shrubs and vines. For some time they gathered and blossomed, and were just about to return to the aeroplanes and resume their journey when Peggy uttered a sharp exclamation. Hark, what is that? she cried. They all listened, and again the sound that had arrested her attention, a sharp cry as if someone was in pain or fright. Then came definite words, Don't, please don't hit me again. It's a child, exclaimed Jimsy. A girl, cried Peggy. Some sort, someone is ill-treating her. We'll soon find out, cried Roy hotly. And furiously, the boys 
to think that a child was being subjected to ill treatment and the nature of the cries left no doubt that such was the case. Stand back here, girls, while we see what's up, struck in Jimsy. Indeed, we'll do no such thing, rejoined the plunky Bess, bridling indignantly. At any rate, let's go in advance, advised Roy. We don't know just what we may turn run up against. This appeared reasonable even to Bess, and with the boys slightly in advance, the little group pressed rapidly forward. After traveling about two hundred yards, they found themselves in a small clearing where a most unusual sight presented itself, a sight that brought on a quick flash of indignation to the face of every one of them. Cowering under the blows of a tall, swarthy woman was a small girl, so fragile as to appear almost elfin. The woman wore a garb of gypsy, and the presence of some squalid tents and tethered horses showed our young friends at once that it was a gypsy encampment upon which they had happened. The woman was so intent on belaboring the shrieking child that at first she did not see the newcomers. It was not until Roy stepped up to her, in fact, that she became aware of their presence. "'What are you doing to this child?' demanded Roy indignantly. "'That's none of your business,' was the retort, as the woman, for an instant, released her hold on the child. Instantly, the little creature darted to shelter, the circling arms of Peggy, sobbing piteously. "'Oh, save me from her. She will kill me,' the child cried in a broken voice. "'There, there,' soothed Peggy tenderly. "'Don't cry. We won't let her harm you any more.' But like a fury, the woman flew at the girls. Before she could lay a hand on them, however, Roy and Jimsy had seized her arm and held them. At this, the crone set up a hideous shriek, as if she had, as if it had been a signal. Two swarthy men in dark skin and big earrings in their ears came running from behind the tents. What's the trouble? They cried as they ran up, regarding the boys malevolently. It's the wren. She's trying to steal the wren, shrieked out the woman. At this, the men rushed at the boys, one of them waving a thick cudgel he carried. Let go of that woman, they shouted furiously. Another instant, the boys would have been in a bad position, for both the gypsies were powerful fellows and appeared determined to commit violence. But Roy released his hold of the struggling gypsy woman and put his fist in such a scientific manner that for an instant the attack paused. This gave Jimsy time to rush to his side. The instant she was released, the woman darted to the side of the man. Beat them, kill them, she cried frantically. The men resumed their rush, and in the next moment the boys found themselves fighting to escape a furious assault. Neither of the lads was a weakling, and good habits and constant athletic exercise had placed them in the pink of condition. But the two gypsies were no mean antagonists. They too, the ones with the cudgel wielding it, skillful. Time and again, Jimsy avoided the heavy blow, which, if successful, would have injured him seriously. The girls screaming rushed off, carrying the wren, as the woman called her, with them. They dashed at the top speed, back to the spot where the aeroplanes had been left, and summoned Jake. I knew something would happen, declared that worthy as he picked up a monkey wrench and the only weapon at hand and started off for the woods the girls followed him miss prescott not having been vouchsafed anything but most hurried explanation was 
what was going on. Just as Jake appeared on the same scene, Gypsy had received a terrible blow on the arm from one of Gypsy's cudgels. The boy's arm dropped as if paralyzed. With a howl of triumph, the hoofman who dealt him the blow rushed in on the injured lad. In another instant, it would have looked bad indeed for Gypsy, but Roy, landing a hard blow against his assailant, hastened to his chum's rescue. You look after that fellow. I'll take care of this one, cried Jake, rushing into the melee, whirling his monkey wrench in a formidable manner. The girls huddled in a group, gazed on in frank alarm. Oh, they'll be killed, shrilled Jess. Roy, Roy, be careful, cried Peggy. Oh, I wish we could get a policeman, cried Bliss, clasping her hands nervously. But as it happened, a policeman, even in such a personage, had been within a dozen miles was not needed. A clever blow from Roy laid the cudgel wielder low, and the other man, not liking the looks of Jake's monkey wrench, catapulted by taking to his knees, taking to his heels. The woman cowered back among the tents. Come on, let's be going, cried Roy, as he saw that the battle was over. Ouch, my wrist, exclaimed Jimsy, wringing it in his left hand. I can't believe that fellow has broken it. Let's have a look, said Roy, as the two boys made their way to the huddled group of girls. Nothing but a nasty whack, he pronounced after an exclamation. Well, girls, it is an exciting battle. Oh, it was terrible, cried Jess. We thought you'd be badly beaten. But it was, as it appears to be, the future white hopes of not forgetting Jake. Smiling, smiled Roy, who was still panting from his exertions. You were awfully brave, I think, cried Bess, admiringly, giving the three heroes a warm glance. Well, there wasn't anything to do but fight, unless we'd run away, left Roy. And now what about the cause of all the trouble? He glanced at the little girl, clinging to Peggy's hand. The child was pitifully emaciated, with the drawn features and large dark eyes that had glazed about her bewilderingly. Her clothes was a red gingham dress and fitted her like a sack she was shoeless and stockingless her brown hair unkept and ragged hung in elf locks about her sad little face certainly as regarded size and general appearance her name the wren fitted her admirably i don't know what to do about her admitted peggy suppose we ask aunt sally i don't want to let the gypsies have her again and yet i don't see how we can take her at the words, the little creature burst into a frantic outbreak. Don't let those people have me back. Don't, she begged. They'll kill me if you do. She clung passionately to Peggy's dress. Tears came to the girl's eyes as the pitiful manifestation of fear. There, there, dear, soothed Peggy, stroking the child's head. You shan't go back if we can't help it. Come with us for a time being, anyway. But we have no legal right to take her objected Roy. Don't say another word, snapped the usually gentle Peggy, whose indignation had been fully aroused. Come on, let's get back to where we left Aunt Sally. Then we can decide what to do. Incidentally, we'll do well to get out of this vicinity before more of those fellows come up. There must be several more somewhere close at hand, exclaimed Jimsy. Yes, and I'll bet the others, the two who ran off, have gone to call them, put in Roy, that woman has disappeared too. 
No time was lost in getting back to the aeroplanes. The wren, as the gypsy called her, kept a tight hold of Peggy's hand. The boys walked behind her with Jake and formed a sort of rear guard to thwart off any possible attack. But either the other members of the band were far off or else they did not care to attempt an assault, for the party reached the aeroplanes without further incident or molestation. Miss Prescott considered Miss Prescott's consideration may be imagined as she listened to the tale they had to tell. From time to time, during the relation, she glanced prettily at the wren. Poor child, she exclaimed, gazing at the wizened little creature's bruised arms. They were black and blue from rough handling and bore painful testimony to the life she had lived among the gypsies. What is your name, dear? she asked emotionally as the child, as Peggy finished her story. The wren. That's what they called me. It was the response in a thin little wisp of a voice. Have you no other name? asked Miss asked Miss Prescott kindly. The child shook her head. I don't know. Perhaps I did once. I wasn't always with the tribe. I remember a home, my mother, but that was all so long ago that it isn't clear. Then she's not a gypsy, declared Peggy emphatically. I'll bet they kidnapped her someplace, exclaimed Roy. That doesn't solve the problem of what to do with her, struck in Jess. We can't just send her back to those people, declared Bess with some warmth. On the other hand, how are we to look after her, said Jimsy. It's a problem we'll have to solve itself, said Miss Prescott after a few moments of deep thinking. How is that, asked Peggy, because she goes with us no matter what happens. It may not be legal, but humanity comes above the law sometimes, declared Miss Prescott with emphasis. Hurry! Hurrah for Aunt Sally, cried the boys. She is a militant as a newly bosomed suffragette. Cheer up, Wren, you're all right now. Then I'll stay with you, questioned the child. Of course, came from Aunt Sally. The child buried her head in some kind-hearted lady's lap and burst into a passionate weeping that fairly shook her frail frame. It was at this juncture that Jake set up a shout and pointed toward the woods. From them a group of men had burst armed with sticks and stones and they came rushing straight at the little group utterly ferocious shouts. We're in for it now, exclaimed Roy. The girls, you had better get in the machine and drive a safe distance. Those fellows mean mischief. Chapter 4 The Approach of the Storm It was apparent enough that the men that the mean mischief they did. The dark eyes gleamed fiercely out of their swarthy faces. One or two wore vivid red or blue handkerchiefs, knotted about swinely necks, this means of adornment only adding to their generally sinister look. I knew we wouldn't get far without running into trouble, moaned Jake dejectedly. Roy turned on him sharply, almost angrily. You get the ladies in that machine and drive off down the road a bit, he said. I'll attend to things. Jimsy, come here. Jake hastened a moment and then strode off to the auto. Can't we stay and help? asked Bess. No, we can't help Roy's best. We can help Roy best by doing what he wants us to do. He's got some plan in his head, rejoined Peggy firmly. Come along, Wren. Jess, help me with her. She is terrified to death. This was no exaggeration. At sight of the gypsy band, the child so recently taken from their clutches shrank and cowered against her young protectress. 
Don't let them take me. Don't, she kept wailing. Never mind it. Don't be scared, Wren, replied. Peggy replied, covering it. They won't get you. A flash of determined fire came into Peggy's eyes as she spoke. Peg, you're magnificent, exclaimed Jess, as headed by Miss Prescott. They hastened toward the car, which Jake had already cranked. The gypsies had paused for an instant. Evidently, the sight of the aeroplanes bewildered and amazed them. Expecting to come on a camp of young folks, they had suddenly encountered a group of machines, which to them must have savored the supernatural, but as the auto drove off, they were due for an even greater surprise. Following the Swiss, swift whisper from Roy, both boys had jumped into the red dragon, and an instant came to the sharp barking of the engine. The flying machine dashed forward almost simultaneously, straight at the angry nomads. Roy headed it. It was as if the war chariot of old was charging into a group of defiant barbarians. For a few moments, the gypsies stood their ground, but as the machine ro rose from the ground, skimmed it as it were, Roy thrust on full power, and the machine darted over the spot where the gypsies had stood, but an instant before, they had gone. Scattering with wild cries of fear, they could be seen running for their lives toward the woods. I don't think they'll trouble us again in a hurry, declared Roy grimly, as he brought the red dragon round in a circle and headed back for the rest. From the machine came a cheer, Miss Prescott's voice ringing out as loudly as any. The idea just came to me in a second, explained Roy modestly, in answer to the ladies. Congratulations and praise. It worked, though, didn't it? Like a charm, they all agreed. Hadn't we better be getting on, asked Jimsy a minute later. Yes, there's no knowing if those fellows won't try a flank attack, although I think they've had big enough scare thrown into them to the last of them quite a while with economy, laughed Roy. Who is going to take care of the wren? asked Bless. She'll ride right in the car with me, declared Miss Prescott positively. You don't think I'm going to risk her in one of those things of yours, do you? They all laughed. As a matter of fact, there was not one of the party that was not more at home in the air than on the road. Then, to Roy Blanchley's device, had about removed the last peril of air travel. It was agreed to, top, to stop at Meadville, which the map showed was about thirty miles to the southeast, and purchase a dress and other necessities for their new board. As to what to do, as as to what was to be done with her after that, nobody had any very definite plans, and so the journey was resumed, with congratulations flying over the way in which they came out of what for a time looked like a really serious scrape. The weather had held fair till a short time after the start was made from the scene of the encounter. With the gypsies, it was Peggy who first observed a change in the sky. From the southwest billowing masses of slate-colored clouds came rolling on, obscuring the sunlit landscape beneath with an effect of lights turned down on stage. Turning to Jess, who occupied the seat behind her, she remarked, We're going to have some bad kind of storm, girlie, Jess noted, nodded. Wonder how far we are from Meadsville, she asked. Quite a ways yet. I'm afraid. 
that we can't make it before the storm breaks. Look there, Roy, coming back, and Jimsy too. I guess they want to talk about it. They turned out to be the case, as Roy came swinging by, held a small megaphone to his mouth with one hand, and while the other gripped the steering wheel tightly, were in for a storm, girls, and a hummer too, from the look of it. Better drop down, counseled Jimmy, just nodded, and as the moment, Bess, who had seen Roy's maneuver, came by the news and was communicated to her. The next thing to do was to look out for which a suitable place to land. The country over which they were passing was heavily wooded and seemingly sparsely populated. Beneath them a road along which had but a some distance behind the touring car could have be seen coming a cloud of yellow dust. The wind began to grow puffy, and it required all the skill of the young aviators to keep their flock of motor-driven birds on even wings. Before long, just as the distant but fastest approaching cloud curtain began to be rippled and slashed with vivid scimitars of lightning, Roy spied beneath them a field at one end of which stood a prosperously looking farmhouse surrounded by building and haystacks. It was the ideal spot in which to land, and as the road was nearby, they could have no difficulties in attracting attention of Miss Prescott when she went by. In graceful volplanes, the airplanes lit in the field like a lining flight of carrier pigeons, but hardly had they touched the ground when from the farmhouse a man came running in his shirtless shirt leaves, his lower limbs being garbled in overalls and knee boots. On his chin was a goatee, and as he drew closer, they saw that his face was thin and hatchet-shaped with anything but agreeable. You get out of there, you get out of there, he kept shouting as he came along, stumbling over the stubble, for the field had been newly reaped. Why, what's the matter? We're not hurting anything, objected Roy. Surely you don't mind our occupying this field for an hour or so till the storm blows over? I don't, eh? Well, I do, by heck. I own all the way down and all the way up this farm, this farm, and that's their law. If we didn't have these ladies with us, we'd be only too glad to leave your field, rejoined Jimsy. But you can see for yourself the nasty storm is coming up. What business these gals riding round in them sky buggies stormed the farmer? If any darter o' mine I did, I'd lock her up on bread and water by Jim Hill. I don't doubt it in the least, smiled Peggy sweetly. Humph grunted the cantankerous old agriculturalist, not quite sure if he had been made fun of or if his resolution was being admired. All I got to say is that you want to stay here, you gotta pay. That can be arranged, spoke Jimsy, with a quiet sarcasm, and we pay to resume the farmer tenantly. How much do you think the lease of your field for an hour or so is worth? The farmer considered an instant, and then with an avancarious look in his pinpoint blue eyes looked up. About ten dollars, he said at length. We don't want to buy it. We just want to rent it for a very short time, struck him Bess, with her most innocent expression. Well, it's ten or get off, snapped the farmer. I'll pay you a fair price for it, spoke up Roy, and not a cent more. Then I'll drive you off with my shotgun by chowder. Oh, no, you won't. 
Won't I? What's to stop me? The law. The law? That's a good one. I think it is a very good one, shocking Jimsy, who now saw what Roy was driving at. Humph. Well, if you're going to talk law, I just tell you quick that this is my land, and you're all trespassing. You're not very well up on aerial law, it seems, replied Roy in an absolutely unruffled tone. I don't know nothing about aerial law, grumbled the fellow, who was somewhat impressed by Roy's calm, deliberate exterior. Well, then your information, I'll tell you, is that under law of country, recently enacted aviators are entitled to land at any safe landing place in times of emergency. If they do not do any damage, they must pay for it. If not, the owner of the land is not entitled to anything for temporary use of his place. Five dollars or nothing, spoke Jimsy, and if you try to pull us off, you'll get into serious trouble. Will ye be robbing me, muttered the man, much impressed by Roy's oratory. Give me the five. It was quickly forthcoming, and the old fellow took it without a word and shuffled off. As he did so, there was a vivid flash of lightning and the growl of a big crash of thunder. While it was still resounding, the auto came puffing up. Jake had put up the storm top and made it as snug as comfortable as a house. Come on, boys and girls, urged Roy. Let's get the engines covered up and then beat it for the car. The rain will hit in torrents in a few minutes. Indeed, they were all still making fast and waterproof covers constructed in a row over the motors just in such emergencies when the big drops began to fall. There was a helter-skelter race for the car, and they all crowded, and none too soon. The air was almost as dark as dusk, and there was a heavy, slushrous feeling in the atmosphere. But within the curtains of the car, all was fun and merriment. The case of the old farmer was discussed at length, and Jimsy conv convulsed them all by his clever intimations of the way the bargain was driven. He was in the midst of his description when a fearful vivid flash lit up the interior of the car as bright as day, as to, as did so the wren utter a sharp cry. What is it, dear? Afraid of the lightning? asked Miss Prescott, while the thunder volley bloomed and rever reverberated. No, no, shivered the child, drawing closer to her. But when I see a flash like that, I sometimes remember. Remember what? asked Miss Prescott tenderly. Oh, I don't know, wailed the child. People and places, they come for a moment, and then they disappear again as quickly as they came. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Fortations Life Today podcast, uh, the reading of the Girl Aviators and the Motor Butterfly. Uh, next week, we will be reading Chapter 5, Peggy's Thoughtfulness Saves the Farm. Bye-bye. Hello, I wanted to let you know that this Flotations Life to Tape podcast recording of the Girl Aviators visual audiobook is funded by viewer support. If you would like to help out as well, you can visit FlotationsDonations.com where there are many ways you can help support Flotations and the Flotations Live to Tape and our sister sites. There you can find ways you can donate through PayPal, you can set up reoccurring subscriptions on PayPal or also on Patreon. There are many levels on Patreon on which you can support. And there is also an Amazon li wish list that will help us with equipment uh, donations 
and we also accept cryptocurrencies as well. If you're old school and you like to send uh, checks, we have our P.O. Box information also on that page at FotationsDonations.com. I want to thank everyone who has helped support this series so far, and I hope you help too. Thank you.